and welcome everyone to Strike Wave. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. Oh my God. I'm We're sorry. not starting over. We're not starting over. We, we have are to going start to over. air this. No, we are airing it oh this way. All right, we're, we're airing it this way. Welcome to Union Thoughts. I was on a strike wave call earlier that spent God knows how much time. What, what does time even mean anymore? Um, the flat, going through corporate circle out here. Yeah, so, I, I, okay. Welcome to Union Thoughts. Um, of course, my name is Connor. Uh, I'm a union representative in Pennsylvania and an editor of the aforementioned publication Strike Wave. And with me as always, Diana, I'll hand it off to you. That is a sneaky way to uh, do a self-plug, first thing to kick us off. Uh, this is Diana. Uh, I am a union staffer in the Detroit area, and today I'm joined by both my cats. Mickey and Calvin are here to share their own opinions on the labor movement today. <laughs> And my name is Jeff Barawa. I am a teacher in New Orleans, a uh, member of Jeff D, uh, FD Local 1559, and also host of Good Morning Comrade in New Orleans area. And we are joined by a, uh, it, I guess this counts as an international guest. Um, from Ontario, we have... Amina Sheikh, and I am a union organizer and a community organizer from Toronto, and Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming Thanks on for the show. Here. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Amina. I'm very, very excited. The reason we have her on is mostly because she's awesome and also <laughs> because she's an organizer and that's what we are here to talk about. Here on Union Thoughts, we have a policy of only having awesome guests. So I'm very happy to continue that on episode three. If only um, more podcasts would live by that, like, you know, just to have only awesome people. Yeah, I mean, if I were a podcast, I would simply have awesome guests. Um, so how how's everyone doing? How's everyone coping with quarantine? I'm clearly losing it because I thought we we're I thought that this was strike wave and it's clearly not. So other than that, I mean, I think things are great. I'm doing fine. I'm currently recording from my closet bunker. Just kidding. That's not me. That was also Connor who tried to do that tonight and delayed the start of this even more. So my attempt at a closet recording studio, I really wanted to get like a sign or maybe like a flashing red light that said recording in progress. It failed because the Wi-Fi doesn't reach to that. But I, mm -hmm. I'm going to like move around to a different part of the house like this is going to work. Mm hmm. So I was just going to like thinking, are you doing? I've been doing pretty good. I mean, other than working a lot, and I'm sure a lot of you are doing that too. Um, I've been doing pretty good. I think um, the weather's getting better here. Um, things are looking a little bit better here. I'm just grateful I'm not in the U.S. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about what you yeah. were in the U.S. for, because it's actually pretty wild when she left, happened to be right before we got locked down. Yes. So obviously I'm a Bernie bro because yeah. <laughs> I'm, you know, awesome like that. So I came to the U.S. to kind of volunteer. I'm emphasizing volunteer because I know Americans get mad about jobs and stuff like that. But I came there to volunteer and to, you know, meddle a little bit. And um, yeah, I went to New Hampshire and then I met you in Michigan, in Detroit and Dearborn and I canvassed there. And then I had no idea what was happening with COVID because I feel like America wasn't really giving any news on it. Mm -hmm. 
So, but so I had you saying that people messaging me. Yeah, you're saying that Bernie wasn't might not be a Russian bot, but he is a Canadian bot. <laughs> Maybe. We had a Canadian plant. No, who, who knows that? I you mean, know. I think we just broke some stories. Scoop here. Oh, you heard God. Your first, oh. Folks. Hashtag still with her Twitter. I guess. Oh, yeah, so. no, Amina was here. Like, I think you left like the day after the Michigan primary, which was March 11, and, Mich- and Michigan went on lockdown March oh 13. God, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And then I came back and Canada was already like Ontario was already freaking out. I was on the campaign in Michigan and I felt like it was just two different worlds. Like people in Canada were telling me they were stocking up food and wow. toilet paper. Wow. So I do, ha- I do really want, and then I don't want to take us too off track because I know we, we have some, some things that we did want to touch on, but how is the sort of COVID-19 situation hitting Canada? Um, you know, how is that, that? Is it different than it is the U.S.? How is, you know, Canada approaching and, and, and dealing with this whole thing? So this is a very big question. And I was trying to think of this question before we spoke, because I know um, sometimes like Americans look at Canada. It's Canada's so huge. So province by province is very different. Yeah. And coming from Ontario, I can speak about Ontario. We have a conservative government here. I don't know if you've heard of the Ford brothers. Oh, yes, we have. <laughs> I mean, like, I think oh. everyone has, but I think also everyone has for like fun reasons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I think that whatever little they do, they look really good no matter what right now. And I don't know what that is. Is that a Canadian thing? Like, I've been kind of sitting and thinking about that. Like, do we just like we just don't have higher expectations we've had a lot of problems here since we came back um since i came back from the bernie campaign i mean people have died uh we don't have as high numbers right so if i compare it to michigan if i compare it to new york we don't have high numbers but you but you can't do that comparison because we don't have that much population density we don't live in such um dense like cities our cities aren't that dense right our population's so different so and then next to italy etc we don't have multi-generational homes we live in suburbs quite scattered um so i think in our numbers it's not high but a lot of essential workers a lot of um poor and precarious workers a lot of women women of color it's the same as the u.s have died or become sick so it's it's a similar pattern um yeah that's really interesting and um i know that um that i appreciate that uh the way that you kind of like laid that out and and you know we don't really talk about the sort of like some of those differences that are like in the general orientation of of the kind of organization of canadian society in the u.s i don't know there's differences but Whatever. Yeah, I think people um, look to Canada, like being in the U.S. and doing labor stuff in the U.S., people really look at Canada and they're like, socialism is up there, but also like they make no sense or they're so far away. And I think Bernie really tried to say that they're not that far away. It's like four hour drive from like Detroit to Windsor. Um, it's not that far away. And I Oh, no, no. 
Windsor is literally across the river. Like I, in my office, when I'm at work, I work on the river and I get, can, I get picked up by Rogers. Like I get the, my phone, my cell phone is okay, roaming randomly. <laughs> We're very close. Like, exactly. like Canada yeah. is south of Detroit. <laughs> it's yeah, not I mean, that far. It's not an imaginary place, but then I also think we get romanticized. I, I, I'm sorry, I put myself on mute, but I was cracking up at that. We're yeah. not an imaginary place, and I think that really <laughs> cements how people think of Canada as this faraway, magical land of free healthcare and the yeah. handsome, handsome <laughs> prime know, minister. Exactly, I mean, and it pisses me off. It yeah, it's like it, it isn't that far away. I mean, my, my family grew up in the Buffalo area, and you know, they watched Hockey Night in Canada like back in the 70s on broadcast TV, like all like every single week and i think that like for me my first kind of like introduction to like canada in a political way was i think it was was it bowling for columbine where like michael moore created this like picture of like this mythic canada where people don't lock their doors and it's yeah they have gun control and i think that that actually like that and other things have shaped like this kind of like progressive liberalish kind of like you know kind of view of what canada is um in some ways that really distort what canada actually is yeah exactly and i think um justin trudeau does that too i think he's a sharp contrast to um trump so people look at trudeau and they're just like wow he's amazing right and you know to the point you made though about the ford brothers like the little that they do gets praise we saw that right away i mean like trump read from like a teleprompter and then like cnn was calling him presidential and mm. like we've seen just how truly presidential his response to COVID has been and like even for a moment just because that's how low the bar has been for trump i think that's what like immediately i thought of that when you said the um the ford brothers <laughs> how little of a standard we set for ourselves when we've just had crappy politicians for so long Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we've had similar issues like the US, we didn't, um, we didn't have enough supplies. So like the PPE, the masks, um, you know, gloves, we had a shortage of them, the governments were all blaming each other, federal government versus provincial government, you know, blaming Trudeau, they had like, equipment from like, the 1950s in storage, like, you know, and it didn't get to the people at the end of the day, weeks went on in the first weeks of April where people were going to work and becoming exposed to COVID. And it, you know, and it wasn't the upper or the middle class who we were all sent at home, sent home, you know, to do social distancing. So we praise ourselves about shutting down, but only certain percentage of the population get that privilege to shut down and sit at home right yeah and, and that's 100 percent relatable to the states yeah. everything you said you could have easily been talking about the united states sure. so so to you know speaking of workers i think that mm -hmm. one of the things that a lot of our listeners um and to be honest like a lot of us may not be fully familiar with is like you know canadian labor is similar to the u.s i mean a lot of u.s labor unions also organize people in uh in canada but like internationalism I, baby yeah international unions um but i mean like just how canadian labor functions like the the very top level kind of like picture like how does canadian labor work like what are the key differences between like, 
at Canada a and uh, that is a he- that, that's a heavy that's question. A heavy so yeah. big matzo I mean, ball. What, what, okay, so so what are the key differences? Like, if you were to pick a couple out of a hat, what are the key differences between labor in Canada and labor in the United States? I think the biggest difference, so from my understanding, is we have the RAND formula, which is across the country. So, like, forget province to province. Each province has its own labor laws. BC has some of the worst labor laws. Um, And BC also has, like, a lot of transnational elite, a lot of um, money um, from, you know, like, wherever. BC, excuse me, I'm sorry, BC is British Columbia. uh, Yeah, British Columbia. I think British Columbia is very similar to, reminds me of San Francisco, reminds me of, like, you know, um, there's a lot of wealth. Yeah, and I, I will say this: we, my union, Unite Here, did uh, a, a hotel strike in in Vancouver, and the messaging was very similar to the Bay Area because it was around cost of living. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it, it, we all talked about how it's similar to the Bay Area, where it's the high and high high, and so some workers had to like drive like two hours um, to commute to work. Those kinds of stories, and it did exactly remind us of um, the Bay Area. Yeah, I think BC is very different. Ontario is um, has pretty good laws, but across the country, what's important difference between distinction between America and us is that we have the RAND formula, which basically means that um, we every union has the right to deduct dues. Like no individual person can just opt out of paying dues and benefit from the collective agreement from the collective agreement and bargaining. So I think that's a big difference because you guys have right to work and stay. Yeah. So, 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 so can I, can I actually um, dial in on this question just a little bit? So when you talk about, they don't have the ability to, um, to sort of like avoid dues or whatever, or to to not be a part of collective bargaining. um, Does that mean that, that like there in certain States in the U S before the, um, before the decision in the Supreme court, uh, ask me versus I can't remember the name, um, but there was there Janice. Was, Janice, that's right. Thank you. Um, but there was a agency fees, which is a lower cost or, or a lower amount of dues that people would be able to pay. You, are you talking about that there was a difference in dues, or are they the same dues no matter what in the uh, rent, in the rent system? There's not the same dues mm-hmm. across the country. It just means that, again, it came from the Supreme Court of Canada, mm-hmm. Justice Ivan Rand. Um, this law came and the decision was in 1946. It was like at the ending of the Ford strike in Windsor. And it basically went into Canadian Labor Code that any employee that is benefiting from collective bargaining, such as higher wages or health insurance, everyone has to pay dues and no one can opt out and an employer is obligated to you know collect those dues and give it to the union when we talk about how close windsor is to michigan like literally i get windsor cell phone range picked up on my phone when i'm at my office in my labor union yet we're still so far away because michigan Mm. is in fact right to work exactly so the employer is required to deduct dues like that's it. Like you can't up get out of that. And that's that's even a little bit further than um, than like you know the American standard because you know right to work simply says yeah you're entitled to agency fees but a lot of you know states at least even before the Janus decision um, you know would pass something called 
they would call it paycheck protection. Um, organized labor would call it paycheck deception, basically saying that you needed to have like annual written authorization to deduct dues mm. or, you know, et cetera. So like, so it even seems to be like even a stronger protection than just the standard of like, you know, you have to pay dues or some kind of equivalent. You also like the employer actually has an obligation to like help the union collect those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so is there any other ways that you can think of where the difference between Canadian labor and U.S. labor is benefiting workers specifically amid the COVID kind of fight right now? Well, I think we have a bit more union density, right? So what that means is, you know, we have, and because of like the RAND formula, I think in the U.S., it seems like you, it kind of feels like for Canadians that the U.S. basically has no labor laws and like the NLRB isn't even working, right? Do they even function? I'm, I, mean, I, I don't know. Define function. <laughs> they exist. <laughs> I so mean, beyond our, that. Our OLRB, so the Ontario Labor Relations, so like, let's just look at my province where I'm working. It the the right when COVID happened, the employers were trying to shut down the OLRB. They were they were lobbying to close it. They were like, we should shut everything down, including the the Labor Relations Board. Um, the Ontario Labor Relations Board refused to shut down, which is great. I think that shows that there is some we have some advantages here. I don't know where it comes from. Is it from a stronger middle class? Maybe. Do we have more of a middle class? Maybe. I think so. Um, so the OLRB is still functioning. I filed a vote with the Ontario Labor Relations Board um, in April under COVID. Oh, no way. Yeah. Tell, tell us more about this. Um, so I came back from Michigan. <laughs> and they were like, you have to finish this campaign. Bam, COVID, like everything shutting down. I'm like crying because I'm like, how the fuck am I going to organize online? It's okay. You could say the F word. How the fuck am I going to organize online? Everything I do is face to face. I'm an organizer that believes in the methodology that comes out of Unite Here, that comes out of SEIU, that comes out of ACORN, that comes out of, I don't know, the IWW, that comes out of whatever, right? It comes out of... (laughs) Someone's like... Maybe not. No, 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 no. no. I'm just maybe not. Like, I'm just saying, like, it's all face to face. So most of my meetings pre-COVID were like, we have a meeting. Um, I meet in Tim Hortons. I meet in nice. I meet in coffee shops. I love that. That was so Canadian. Oh my god. Meeting in the Tim Hortons. That that spoke to me so deep. As a as a Louisianian, I don't even know what Tim Hortons is. There was a Tim Hortons built into my college. Like I had so many late nights studying for final exams, just like just draining Tim Hortons coffee, like (laughs) well into the night. When I was little and we would go to Niagara Falls, we would drive through Canada because it was shorter from Detroit. And like me and my brothers would just laugh because we'd see a Tim Hortons every five minutes. Let's just say I drank Tim Hortons while I was in Michigan. Of course, you found a Tim Hortons. I just, I just want to put out there: Tim Horton played for the Buffalo Sabers. Just going to put that out there. 
We should Guide be sponsored. This wine. episode is yeah. not sponsored by Tim Hortons. It is yeah. not sponsored by Tim Hortons. <laughs> Nor the Buffalo he actually Sabres. He died while he was playing for the Buffalo Sabres, but we don't like to emphasize that part. R.I.P. <laughs> so basically, then I moved. I started going online. I created some cryptic Facebook profiles, started messaging workers. And my interaction oh. with them was... <laughs> My interaction with them with them was really high, and I'm like, God, no! Like this means I have to, I'm I'm having momentum under COVID. I know that sounds twisted. No, but it, it makes perfect sense, though, doesn't it? Because there's, I mean, especially workers who might not be as like they might have a bit more time on their hands because they're not working. They're or, not working exactly. They have time to organize. There, this is an opportunity in a sense, isn't it? It's an opportunity. So I came back. I. I started posting stuff about EI in some Facebook groups with, I organize um, educators um, with an educator union. And then um, right away they were like, Amina, Amina, how are you? Like people I haven't heard from like in a year that I've been like chasing, you know, they were like sending me heart emojis. And then I was like, you know what? It's time. We are going to file this application. And then I looked up, I got a lawyer. Thank God I have a little bit of resources at this union. So they said they were trying to stop me from filing too, a little bit, because they were like, I don't know, the law seemed confusing. But I believe right now, as an organizer and to organizers all out there, you have to take risks to and you have to listen to the workers. And when there's momentum, listen to them. You are not the expert. Your organizing committee knows what's up. And if they're confident and they my response rates were really good with with the committee. Um, the engagement was good. They got on Zoom. They have computer literacy, so that was an advantage. In some precarious sectors, you might not have that advantage. That's, that's very real. And what I've been doing in my work, uh, I, I work for a union that represents hospitality workers who aren't necessarily online all the time. Exactly. It's been a lot of fun, but it's it's a lot of Zoom trainings. But yeah, sorry, that that is a very, very important point right now in this world of like digital organizing is like making sure that people are able to access some of the new ways that we're communicating. Exactly. And I was quite paranoid, too. Like, what does my campaign look like online? Like, who can sit in on the Zoom? Is the employer on the Zoom right now? <laughs> Maybe. But then I also had to just move because I had I had to trust their instinct to file. They really needed a union. Um, they aren't working. They are on EI, and um, we won ninety nine percent. That's awesome. Yeah. That is so, so awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned that you organize kind of um, you organize educators, and mm -hmm. of course, like so. So what is organizing like with Ontario educators? I guess what does it look like in normal circumstances, and versus what does it look like right now? I think, again, I've worked in various sectors. So I've done sales, I've done janitorial, I've done nonprofit, I've been a union hustler thug for a long time. So now I came to educators. I think educators have a very um, good schedule. You know, they have some privileges where they work nine to four, they're usually free. However, educators are very like, they have families. They're very family people. Um, many are like, have partners. So they have like, the job of the care economy, going home after work, and then doing like picking up kids, they're like doing carpooling. So I feel like they're very busy. 
but I think they're privileged in the sense that they can come to meetings very easily. So that's the distinction. I think I'm just drawing a distinction in my head next to other workers. They, they are able to attend meetings. They under, so what I usually do before COVID, I set up a meeting at like a Tim Hortons at a, at a restaurant, at a Moxie's. Do you guys have all this stuff? Kelsey's? No, you know, a grill. No Kelsey's, no Amoxies. I feed them a little on the union dime. I believe we should feed workers um, because they come on their own time. Um, but I do a meeting. I try not to over gift. I think the meeting's about them and empowering themselves. And then I just run through the like one-on-one -on -one sort of conversations about like what's the identified issues in the workplace? How can we collectively bring about change? those type of things. And I do all that face to face. So I'm a big, like if, if I was unionizing Connor, I'd go to Connor's house. Oh man, house visits. I'm, I don't know how I feel about them being nixed right now under COVID. Is that good or bad? That we know but that's the thing, this COVID situation forced me to rethink, like maybe I was doing a little too much face to face. Maybe I could do a little bit not face-to-face -face. Mm -hmm. that's you know that it's very it's a very interesting kind of like and i i just say this having encountered you know i live in rural pennsylvania in places where like if you meet at the local mcdonald's we don't have Tim horns unfortunately um if you meet at the local mcdonald's like someone is going to see that you met there and word is like going to get back to the, you know, superintendent, whoever it may be. And so, I mean, there, there are roles for kind of like digital organizing, but at the same time, like part of the purpose of union organizing is to get people comfortable with taking that, that risk taking that step, you know, working collectively together, being open about, you know, building power. And so there is that kind of like tension between like, okay, digital tools can like, I don't know, like even before like COVID, you know, one of the things that I struggled with was there is that tension between using digital tools to make it a little bit safer, but also that detracting from kind of like the, the goal of what you're trying to do. I think when, if, but when we come out on the other side of this, it'll be interesting to see how we kind of fi find that right balance of both. Because I think there, there, there is a lot to, to gain from incorporating digital tools. And I'm not trying to say this as a digital communication specialist. Um, <laughs> but I also think that obviously, you know, one-on-ones, we can't fully lose those. Like there's, there's a lot that, you know, just, the way I think about the work I do as Digicom specialist is that it is always a boost to the organizing when it's all said and done. Organizing is the heart and soul of what any of us are trying to do. And so like, how do these digital tools boost that? I think we're seeing that in like dramatic ways. So when we come out of this, it'll be really interesting and beneficial to the movement. I think to see how we find that right balance to really, really uplift all of our organizing efforts. I, I definitely agree with you both. I think it's about the balance. I think that I 
do so much old school face-to-face. It's also how I learn. It's also how I build trust. And people, I do think that there's limitations to Zoom or um, technology. I find that it's very impersonal. So for example, if I meet someone, often people like reveal like one-on-one or like in small groups, people reveal a lot of issues. They could cry, they show emotions, they show rage. I didn't get that through Zoom. Um, So we had to do a lot of calls to people who were more difficult, like didn't understand what the union was about, felt scared. It's hard to overcome some of that, um, those fears through through something like Zoom. It's so impersonal. um, It's uncomfortable. It's new to everybody. So I took a lot more calls and I had to do more relationship mapping, like who speaks the same languages, who can connect to this person? Um, are you guys, can you call her again? Can you call her again? And it w- took two to three calls to break through, hey, you need to vote. This is mm-hmm. urgent, you know. Um, but I feel like I could make a breakthrough easier face-to-face if I showed up at their house. Yeah. And then they I- explained to me sometimes the deeper, you know, emotions and feelings and fears. So I do think there's some limitations to technology, but... I do think it's a great compliment. Yeah, that's something I've noticed as a teacher, my like as a teacher and as an organizer in my union that like when they want us to hold class or if I want to like hold meetings with workers like like fellow, you know, workers in the schools, uh, it's just a different thing when you don't have people in the exact same space. You know, I don't know. It it doesn't it it seems it seems like a little bit it, it, it makes a difference that you're all sort of like in the same space, breathing the same air and you can like see and, you know, touch one another or something like that. You know, it, it makes, it makes a lot of, it makes a big difference. I mean, there's a reason why we do house visits and it's definitely not because it's fun. Yeah. Right. right? Very personal. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm just thinking about a recent conversation I had with, we were doing, we're actually still doing unit clarification in one of my, um, in one of my locals, unit clarification for the listeners is um, basically when you try you try to include workers into the well. Uh, if I say the word bargaining unit, we're again going to get into a whole different can of worms. Basically, you're trying to bring workers into the union. And I had a conversation with two workers at just like a diner in rural Pennsylvania, where we had a really heavy conversation. Like it was, I had to drive like an hour and a half to get to the meeting, but at the same time, the conversation I had sitting down with them, like just drinking a cup of like diner coffee in rural PA is a conversation I'm certain that I couldn't have had with them over Zoom. Like I'm 100% certain I could not have had that conversation with them. So we, we've been like focusing a little bit on like the nitty gritty of like some of the organizing. I think that one of the things that might be helpful for us to kind of like, if we're going to like zoom out into the big picture. Um, ha I mean, ha ha ha. Oh yeah. Zoom. Very funny. Um, that was not intentional. Um, so like, it sounds like, some of the response to COVID-19 and labor law and et cetera happens at a mix of kind of like the, the national and the provincial level. And I know that one of the things that like a lot of Americans seem to think, I personally think wrongly, is that Justin Trudeau is like a 
progressive. He's a liberal. He's like a good counterpoint to Donald Trump. And I just, I don't know anything about his like record on labor, but I'm going to guess it's not that great. So could, could you just for our listeners benefit, like dish a little bit on like, what's Trudeau like? What's his government like on labor? Roast him. <laughs> well, <laughs> Well, I think you just need to look right now. Let's look at COVID, what's happened since April. Um, The Trudeau government basically uh, made a deal with Amazon to deliver or store. The federal government won't share the details of this contract it signed with Amazon. And um, basically, it puts this multinational corporation, which is kind of transnational, um, to distribute emergency medical supplies to Canadian hospitals um, like uh, masks, PPE, you know, face shields, gowns, ventilators. And this is extremely problematic because he is undermining uh, Canada Post. Is this live, by the way? No, nope. this is not no. live, no. Then who's Jeffrey Burroughs? Oh, that's you. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, who is that person? Okay, so so basically he's undermining Canada Post, which is a crown corporation that is regulated by the government, right? And crown corporations are different because they're meant to deliver affordable universal mail service. You know, the workers are unionized. They make good wages. Uh, The union's one of the most progressive militant unions, actually, in Canada, Cup W, it's called Cup W, C-U-P-W, um, one of the first unions to endorse, uh, you know, BDS, but that's a whole other thing. But also, um, it's the exact opposite of Amazon. So he signed a contract with Amazon. Amazon has deplorable working conditions, no union structure at all in any of the Amazons, you know. We're seeing what Amazon workers are doing globally under this pandemic, you know. And corporations are to serve like the rich, not the public. The other thing that he basically has done, you know, under CERB is bail out oil and gas. You know, um, Trudeau has a history since coming in, and it's the same history of the Conservative Party. So I always tell people when I try to explain to them, the liberals and the conservatives are not really different. They don't have different economic policy. They have different social policy. So Trudeau, you know, also, I don't think his his social policy is just lip service. You know, he pays a lot of lip service to minority communities, to refugees. You know, he pink washes everything with his like colorful socks. But I would say Trudeau is very much the Obama of Canada. Ooh, I think I think that's going to be like, how do you interpret that one? Right. Like everyone listening is going to have their have their like take on that interpretation. I hate those socks. (laughs) I love it. I I also think he's never really done anything for the unions. He's just um, he's he's been tied into scandal after scandal. I can't even follow half of it. Um, My brother, my Aladdin, my 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 Arab (laughs) brother. Right. And he's done blackface. Add on that yeah. the man has done blackface more than once. And Canadians are Cringe, just, bro. I don't know. And I don't know if Americans would treat him any different because I think he gets away with it because he's a centrist. And I think he's very much like 
the Obama, Hillary Clinton. Macron. He gets away with it because yeah. he's a hottie. And he's a good looking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that is the reality is he's a good looking, like centrist that isn't like, you know, overtly shitty. Like to, mm. to people on the left, he's overtly shitty. But like mm-hmm. to the average person, he is an overtly shitty. He's not a and union so, thought. He's a he's a uh, like a scab thought or something. Yeah, I mean he's <laughs> been doing really bad in polling though. So he's Good. doing okay under COVID next to Trump, and because the situation in Canada is not as bad, um, we shut down. We don't have as many deaths, etc. We have an, uh, public health care, which I think is a huge difference, right? Um, right. Even mm-hmm. though Trump's like you know, been talking smack about everybody's health care, but right, like in Italy right. and stuff like that. I mean, it's because of austerity our health care has gotten worse. Right. Joe Biden uh, too, we... even. Yeah. 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 So on that note, I think we can maybe segue into another non thought about fairy tale land. And that's our Union Buster of the Week being the NHL. But can you can actually one second, you guys, I just have to do something really quick what i hit a button i don't know oops what did i do on here oh my god what did i do hang on guys i hit a button and all of a sudden people arrived i don't know what's going on all right start what the fuck is so what is going so what is going on here okay what what's going on here y'all i I don't know what's happening There's Jeff, you're gonna have some interesting in editing. Two. You're gonna have some interesting Three. editing. Take it away. Happy birthday, Happy birthday to you. To you. Happy, birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Connor. Happy birthday to you. Literally hate all of you. Thank you, everyone. That's beautiful. That was honestly that was masterfully done. Was it? Uh, It was masterfully done. So it was entirely the master at hand. So apparently, we've got like a bunch of extra guests to finish off our podcast. So. Um, just to, Potter's just to, recording still, y'all. You guys oh missed God. it. He was at his bunker. He was literally in the closet. <laughs> it was so great. Jeff is like getting a monumental record, like editing task right now. Oh, this is staying <laughs> in. So oh, this Potter, is staying in. Notice the group. It's a mix of folks, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. We have Camilo. So saying, we have Eric. We have. Go ahead, Connor was in a bunker, guys. so you're saying he's become a hostess. Yeah, he forgot to oh, wear he forgot to wear his yeah. uh his uh tinfoil hat this time. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Honestly, I'm I'm repurposing like yeah, I'm I mean, repurposing he, a bunker. He is wearing a Buffalo Sabres hat, so it's basically yeah. the same thing. All right. Nah, that's more an indication that he's a masochist. That absolutely <laughs> oh, is an indication that I'm will never right. win the uh, cup. Okay. We'll never win the cup. We just did a little surprise on the show for uh, Connor's birthday, which is May 6th. Um, 
and, and we had a lot of great guests. We still have um, Damiana and Matt uh, who are with us. Uh, so we have Connor, Jeff, Diana, Matt, and Damiana here. And we are going to talk about the Union Buster of the Week. So, Connor, who is the Union Buster of the Week? So first off, I want to say that I hate you all. Um, the <laughs> affirmation. Right back at you, um, bud. The, the affirmation about I'm turning 32 and the affirmation really feels like an attack. Um, and I'm going to have to process that. Um, I so, admit I joined because your birthday reminded me how young I am. Uh, it's Yeah. Uh, so Damiana has uh, the benefit of being... We're not going to talk about how much younger she is than I am. Baby, baby. Yeah. Youth is fleeting. So, yes. Um, and how much smarter Save she is. Save us, than, Damiana. Yeah. Save the world, please. Yes. How much smarter she was, she is than I was at that age. Um, so we're going to go with the Union Buster of the Week is the National Hockey League. And we're going to, I'm just going to throw that to the NHL like globally, but specifically I want to talk about the Buffalo Sabres and the people on the zoom right now can attest to the fact that I'm wearing a Buffalo Sabres shirt and I'm wearing a Buffalo Sabres hat. I am a fan. I have been a fan forever. I have been to dozens and dozens of games, but these motherfuckers are not paying the workers that keep their arenas going. And specifically Terry Pagula, a literal billionaire who made his money off of fracking in Pennsylvania. Fracking, again, not a cent of the actual, you know, the, the actual operations. There's no taxes, no severance tax on fracking in Pennsylvania. So he can basically operate tax-free, make billions of dollars, buy a professional sports team, he owns the Buffalo Sabres and he owns the Buffalo Bills, and then not pay the subcontracted workers that make dimes compared to what he certainly draws in profit from the just general Buffalo Sabres season. So he, they, uh, he, he's, he's refusing to pay out less than he's getting in tax breaks, basically, right? Oh, literally. Like he literally, he got tax breaks again from Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> Fuck Andrew Cuomo. Boom. He got tax breaks from Andrew Cuomo to build Harbor Center in Buffalo under the pretense that this was going to create livable wage jobs for working class Buffalo residents. And of course, it didn't fucking do any of that. And now he's laying them off. So honestly, fuck Terry Bigola. Fuck the Buffalo Sabres. I still appreciate many of the Buffalo Sabres players. But, and honestly, I, I'm i glad that Amina is off of the podcast because uh, she is from Toronto. And if the NHL proposed playoff format goes through, it's going to be Buffalo versus Toronto. And I'm glad that we're going to fucking kick their asses. But at the same time, fuck Terry Pagola. Fuck the Buffalo Sabres organization for not paying their subcontracted workers in Buffalo. And quite frankly, fuck every single professional sports team owner that is not paying their subcontracted workers through this shutdown. Because really, when you get right down to it, these are the folks that are creating the fan experience that individuals are missing right now. And they deserve a living wage during the shutdown. 
So a big fuck you to the Buffalo Sabres. Fuck you. And a big fuck you to the National Hockey League. Uh, Damiana, Matt, do you all have anything to say to the owners of the Buffalo Sabres? Stop. So I do. Stop. I just want to have, I just want to add real quick that they laid off all these people. Just FYI, they fired them with no communication about recall or anything like that. So. Stop busting unions, assholes. Again. Fuck Terry Pagola. Fuck his fracking bullshit. Fuck his massive investment in Penn State Athletics because, of course, Penn State Athletics is known for being an ethical and responsible actor. Um, (laughs) And really just fuck not paying subcontracted workers. Everyone deserves a living wage. One job should be enough. 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 <laughs> oh, oh my God. God, when are we gonna have rallies again? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Pay oh. your workers like you should. So anyway, so, uh, as always, we are, of course, Union Thoughts. Uh, I am Connor with Diana. Jeff uh, Amino was with us and with us right now because of uh, a surprise birthday fuckery. We have Damiana and Matt. So thank you everyone for listening this week. Uh, hopefully, One this second. Was, I just yeah. want to take a second. We need to plug Amina's Twitter handle because we did not give her a chance to plug it herself. And God bless her for hanging back and sitting through the happy birthday. It's Amina Sheik, A-M-I-N-A-H-S-H-E-I-K-H. You can go to our Twitter account, Union Thought Pod, and we'll be promoting the hell out of her appearance there too. But God bless Amina Sheik from the Toronto area for joining us today and sitting through our entire happy birthday uh, uh, cut (laughs) for a moment there. Appreciate her for for her time this week. Yeah, and uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. Um, uh, My name's Jeff. You can follow me on Twitter at eminentprof. Connor? I thought that you were Joe. Um, My name is Connor, of course, and you can (laughs) follow me at at the house red on Twitter. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Diana? Yeah. Hey, Diana. She is Diana. Matt. Hi, I'm Diana. You can follow me at, at uh, Real Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt, be prepared for some spicy takes. She, oh. what is it? Oh, shh. don't follow me. Yeah, edit that out. Edit that out, Jeff. Yes, yeah, it's, it's questionable whether or not I want this to okay. be up on. The the big old internet, but yeah, hey, no, we can we don't have to go to our guests yeah, for this. Can, this is about us, can, guys. We can have that. <laughs> and of course, that you can follow uh, you can follow Union Thoughts at Union Thought Pod, Union T O T H O T Pod. Like, at like, fave, and subscribe, folks. All right, thank you, everyone, for being here, and um, yeah. A big fuck you to everyone for the birthday, but also a big thank you to everyone for the birthday. Uh, thank the you, birthday fuck greetings. you. Yeah, thank you, fuck you. I feel it was like absolutely on on brand for us. All right, everybody, love All you. Right. Bye.